Good afternoon and welcome. This is Tavo Diarcy. I hope everything is blessed wherever you are in your ministry, out of the ministry, at home, just in your Christ following. And as you know, I teach everything. I speak everything directed at the You Must Be Born Again community. And I offer it as a sila submitted in James 3.17 respectful form, easily entreated, not in dogma. But everyone else who's not a believer in Christ is certainly invited and is respected and welcomed. But know that our direct points, often pithy, are directed to the Christ followers. And you know what? There are many people in this generation who are raised like myself, not raised raw, not under legalism, not under the law. And some of you, many of you will identify with what I say, and you can tell the difference between the traditions of man, which bring down accusation, legalism, back under the law type thinking, and then that creeps into these fellowships. And I had to say it that when I've been a noble Berean scholar all my life, especially out in Texas, that I got the revelation in early 2000s that for the sake of the true people, the pure-hearted people, with all the legalism, law, TV-affected ministry, mass-produced, mass quantity of shallow, hail-fellow, formula-driven Christ-following, with everyone encouraged to sit under somebody, be under somebody, let them be over you, but no one ever being told, mutual respect, mutual submission, the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 5.21, like I was raised by my father and mother, and that's how their marriage was, their ministry was. But also that you have the right. You are, if you want to be entitled, this is how. If you want to be assessed as entitled, then you are entitled to be a noble Berean and pick apart everyone's doctrine, including this person's. What is doctrine? It is your infrastructure for your character, your God call, your conscience, your decisions and choices. And you need to have them for your sake, personally, privately, lined up with the Lord and his Bible in the holy fear of the Lord in case he comes quickly, in case you leave quickly, God forbid, and in case it's your day to go to heaven or he'll come soon. So we want to be ready, FDR, final day ready, like sure our network is, our children, our parents are, that we're truly ready. And that's why I'm speaking so up front. This is Dr. T. I've had lots of doctorates had an honorary doctorate given in 2004 in sacred music. But I've had quite a few, maybe three, major ones in DFW alone. After walking with Christ, being baptized in my by my father, accepted the Lord at nine, rededicated at 12, became on fire as my grandmother had prayed for me in... When I was uh, 17 and became like a Jesus person in that movement, following Jesus, not any one person. The general, everybody wants to hear from God, have your quiet time, make sure you've, you know, really practice what you preach and all that, then music. And so I had been commissioned when I was 24 to study his body, Jesus' body, all the different kinds that believe the Bible that are born again black and white, any other color, so that one day I'd be able to speak cross-body and help build bridges. That's what I hope I'm doing now. You know, our Bible teaches us, blessed are the pure in heart. That's Jesus' words in the Beatitudes in Matthew. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. 
when you have no secret agenda, no pride, no rivalry, no fiction, fraction, or fiction, then you can perceive God. God will help you perceive Him accurately and discern Him and His way easily. And I came from parents, grandparents on both sides of the family who knew God as a friend. And they weren't into formula. They weren't driven, striving, achieving. They just wanted to follow God and love Him and do whatever He said, His perfect will. So I was brought up that way, not to have any motive, trying to work it or, you know, grow my ministry. It's His ministry, not mine. But just to be available like an Enoch, pure in heart, walking and talking with God daily, 365, 24-7, Because one day God can take me, just like he took Enoch, and he can take you the same way, or the whole church. We might be in the Enoch move, because there are a lot of people like that I know. I've watched that movement grow since the 70s, 80s. People really in the born-again community, really walking and talking, hungry after God. It's just that when you meet different quadrants of the body, where there's legalism, back under the law, sectarianism, division then you also meet rivalry, competition, accusation, which I'm not part of. But we can at least address it so we can check our own hearts. Because when Jesus comes again, he's coming for a spotless, pure bride. bride. And it's not going to be all white. It's not going to be all one color. It'll be multicultural, multinational, multinational, and global. Because I had a great dad by grace, I didn't earn it. I didn't achieve it. I was just given it by grace. I can think of the Creator Father in the same fashion. My father was simple, quality, pure in heart, respectful, respected my mother as his equal peer. They lived in harmony with the grandmothers visiting and myself and my sister in Ephesians 5, 21, mutual submission in the fear of the Lord with the husband, head of home, H-O-H being the tiebreaker. That made it easy for the woman, my mother, to submit because he cherished her. So there was never an issue, never accusations of you're not submitted. That's just a legalistic group that does that. So when I go out and I think all Christians are fine, they're all safe, they're all like my dad, patient, long-suffering, quiet, humble, and then you find out that's not right. You got to be on your guard. You got to get your noble Berean on, which I do. And then you find out that there's certain doctrines, yeast of the Fadducees that come down from TV or passed down theology that they've never questioned, but it's not even in the New Testament. It's back under the law. And that creates hierarchy, a worship of hierarchy amongst God's people, keeping tabs on the ministry Joneses, which is one of my pet peeves. And my pet doctrinal tick-offs, as well as the church hopper accusation, legalism, that means you're spying on others to see if they attend church like you do, which is, frankly, superior pride, religious spirit. So on top of onlinefellowship.us for ministers or anybody, I have a PDF about the Ephesians 4 Common Doctrine versus the second tier, which is Pauline Doctrine, such as don't forsake fellowshipping with the saints. What if you don't believe in wearing dresses? What if you don't wear believing slacks? All these other choices which are out there now, which the world is always thinking is Jesus saying it and 
a lot of the accusation, critical spirit in fellowships in ministry comes from that. I've seen it, experienced, and I don't want to do that. So we get our mainly what is a Christian, what is a born-again Christian, what is a minister, what is legalism, and how do you tell with the different types and styles and worship and packaging and anointing and beliefs and people diehard followers, true followers in these days. I go back now because I was out here whenever I'd never been in an area where the region, I mean, I was up and down the East Coast, up to Pennsylvania, down to Florida, over to Tulsa. Admittedly, that was in the 90s, late 90s, and in Virginia and North Carolina many times. But the idea is that I was sent out, and I never found any area, region of Christians that there was zero fear of the Lord, or maybe 20% only, until I moved to the Deep South. And because I had to get used to the climate adjustment, very difficult. A lot, in certain parts of this area out here, a lot of post-Christian church areas and the false religion is high. The faith may be high, but it's not doing its job. Something right. I guess maybe it's the critical Levitical covering issues or the lack of prayer, lack of humility, lack of fear of the Lord. That's what really moves God is fear of the Lord and repentance among leaders and family members and Christians. So I went from one as a prophetic intercessor seer, apostolic visionary. I can really pick up the atmosphere of the major principalities and things in an area. So when I first got out here, went to Plano. The same principality in Plano, I believe, is in Carrollton. I went down to Carrollton. I was over in Murphy, had a house. It's the same one. It's post-Christian for the by part. There are Christians in there, of course, but the false religion have built and also the people. I think the people are tired and they haven't done their job because they're too busy in the rat race of achievement. And then the other ones that are not in achievement are into their shepherding. Western European Levitical patriarch. That means you hold back the women. The overseer holds back the women. They're not allowed because they're just second hand. They're under the law and they want the men to raise up. Also, they don't, in the whelp communities, they don't really understand or get or want potentially black people because they're very few, maybe one at the most. And let me say this, because it was by grace. My father was from the Deep South, Dallas, Georgia. He wasn't a, bi a racist. I moved up to Virginia when I was little, and I just haven't had so much great background parenting that they weren't racist. I had no, I'm not a racist. In fact, I've always been drawn to injustice from the time I went to the strip mall or wherever it was with my grandmother holding her hand at about five or six I could read and it said on the water fountains in the bath restrooms white only black only and I looked at it and I was puzzled I thought what is that when my grandmother told me what it meant I was horrified it was like my it just really got to me I knew it wasn't right so from that time on I've always had a passion my heart of the Lord for injustice when my parents settled in Virginia. I was a young child and my aunt was still down in Alabama. She's now with the Lord. And so she had been married to a priest, 
Episcopal priest and he committed adultery. They had four children. So my mother and I went down by during the night and helped them get away and bring all their stuff and live with us. Well, along with the children, they had a nurse, a wonderful nurse named Helen, who was black. And Helen was like a family member. She helped take care of the children because my aunt was ill. And so I remember Helen Helen living with us, Miss Helen, and we laughed and she dipped snuff, buttercup snuff. I've told this story. I'll tell it one more time. And because my father and mother were not legalists, they were loving primarily. When Helen, it was Christmas time and they wanted to get her a special gift, a love gift, you know, lover. And so I remember going with my father to the way out in the country to the country store and we we bought her a package of deluxe package of buttercup snuff so i have some deep south memories but it wasn't bigotry it was like family and so therefore i happen to be around people of color i've never resented them i never thought of them as anything but human equals and even though i heard on the nightly news all this fighting and civil rights and things right now I believe a lot of that in America, even in churches, is back under the law of critical thinking and ignorance and intolerance. That's where we come out all these years, always have equal opportunity, real respect for the office of the human who's made in God's image, every one of them, from the president to the person with a different identity, to the people who control people, to the people who are wonderful people, every race, every faith, they're all made in God's image uniquely, and it's up to us to show respect, to project respect to each one as a believer in in Christ, so that they'll at least get the first taste of his love, and then we won't club them with legalism, fear, accusation, which projects accusation and condemnation that we don't like them, that they're not as good as us. And that will help pave the way for real love and real respect in ministry and relationships. And we need to train that from the leadership on down. So we get off on our topic because I've been around it. You know, God has had me around this for many decades. And it was never time I was always thinking, what do I see? And how do I feel when I watch this or watch Jesus' house accusing people in certain places and I would analyze their doctrine and I would analyze my doctrine if I got jumped in public which I have not often but like every seven years when I was surfing the body you know going to explore different doctrines I didn't know they had a Jezebel demon Jezebel spirit fixation enthroning Jezebel in the people and that's when I discovered man if if you're a visitor and they don't know your name and they're doing this, accusing you from afar or sending their witch watcher or tail bearing through a community because they heard but they've never talked to you in person, how low life, how disrespectful, how low functioning. And I wanted Jesus' name to be cleared up because I know that certain groups that used to not be very popular are widespread more than ever. There are millions, many millions in the Deep South alone. And if they're doing that at the local area, keeping track of the Jezebels, the church hoppers, the you know name calling and saying you're in rebellion and and not even and they're and they're avoiding the respectful relationship verses. That's why I teach James three seventeen art abiding relationship theology due to this. Because I think people have lost it. They're clueless now about respect for real people 
or people that are not just like them, identical clones. And we need to get that out back instead of the Bible-thumping reputation, born-again bigot, accusation, hate, ma hate speech, all this type of weird witch-watching accusation. That's just plain old, tawdry Christ-following. So therefore, I part of the art abiding relationship theology means that you gauge people when you when they enter i mean it's so outrageous this is just outrageous to have to even mention this but it happens in quality groups that teach on different things small but even mega famous so i'm out in the grassroots so i'm not surrounded by the handlers and bodyguards keepers and entourage big staff Therefore, I meet people sort of like where the rubber meets the road and I watch. I can observe other people if it happens to them. So anyway, when this happens, it's to grow my character <laughs> and to make sure that I can train so that others will have respect when they walk in of any faith, any look, any appearance, any style. And even if they do not feel they are to go to church for this present time, that is not my business. I teach real respect. So we value all, mega to micro, not even in church, other faiths, because you're God's human, made in your, His image. But do a good job if you're born again. So the idea is relationship theology basics are, you, when you see somebody far away, you say, look, oh yeah, my heart says it's a black person, it's a person of another faith, oh, a person wearing a headdress, oh, it's a woman, it's a man. Not my style. But then you know you're the Lord and you think, uh-uh, that's my heart telling me something about me. I'm going to see it as a relationship. That's a relationship. Yet yeah, happens to be a she or a he or another faith or a leader or a pastor or a lay person or youth. But I'm going to check me first, see that I'm in the right heart attitude, mature. And then I'm going to assess them, not accuse them, because they are different. I'm going to assess them. I'm going to watch them. That didn't mean I trust them, but I'm going to watch them. Are they reflecting James 3.17, abiding attitude, day in, day out? James 3.17 says that any wisdom from above or anyone that represents real God, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy, then I ask myself, you ask yourself, am I that way? Even under pressure, with my family, my ministry, by myself, at the grocery store. And then you look, are they that way? And then you watch it whenever, if you don't know them, if you can trust them, you keep watching. If they're the visitor and they're sitting there, even though they may look like your mama, who was this worst Jezebel, and your daddy was the weakest wuss, Ahab, you don't accuse them. You don't disappoint God and condemn them without speaking to find out who they really are and seeing if they're abiding in James 3.17. People can abide in James 3.17 even if they're not a Christian. It just takes God's Holy Spirit's power to stay that way. But you can say, are they acting right now in this situation in my congregation, pure, peaceable? Hey, that's two check marks. Easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. You can't know them in and out about the hypocrisy, but you can at least get a gauge on the pure, peaceable.
peaceable, easily, and treated. I've had to literally train this as an act of body self-defense due to the fearsome, weak, anxious, heightened and suspicious, spooky spiritual groups. And it's not just one or two groups, but if you walk in there and you happen to have an outer colored earth suit of a certain kind of female, you get this. You get this. You trigger this fear, anxiety, under the law, suspicion. I noticed because I have, I noticed I was being typecast, like racial profiling, and that's how I discovered Welp. So I typecast them back. I thought, what kind of group? My daddy wouldn't like this. All the men I deal with are not like this. They're respectful, pure-hearted. But when I got typecast, when I was out and about, I went, well, let me typecast them back. So I got the whelp that way, Western European, middle age, come from maybe poor country, uh, back under the law, well-intentioned, but maybe never knew a female that wasn't being used for the wrong thing. See, my parent, my dad was a pure-hearted man. He didn't monkey around, fool around. He was faithful to his relationship with my mother. That's the kind of man I married. That's the kind I thought I had. That's the kind of... Uh, people in my family and extended friends we didn't have that issue but when you get out here and you meet some of the people that maybe came out of rock and roll or fame maybe before they were christians i it makes me think maybe they have the law but they also are afraid because maybe they used to have a weakness of the flesh for women like groupies and that if a woman is strong they act weak by being accusative standoffish like a martyr, poor me, victim. And they can't handle a relationship that's mature and healthy to with a female just as a person, a respectful as a human, not a sex object. So I'm teaching this to get this out there to please, especially rock star worshipers, please. They're some of the worst ones. That didn't mean they're doing anything they shouldn't. That means they're being rude to the stranger who has a pure heart. And to other women or males. I also found that when I diagnosed that I was a racial profile and that I fit a certain criteria, I happened to have a black bishop friend and I told him about my experience at this one whelp mega church, you know, famous minister. And he said to me, he said, you know what? Because see, I suspected that it's like racism. It accuses based on looks. He said, well, I went over there and they did that to me. And he is not, he was like a, a fiery Pentecostal, you know, nice, but he was more like, I don't know if he's as dignified as they are, you know, buttoned down, but I thought, see, that's it. It's a spirit, a religious spirit. That's what we fight trying to fellowship with the saints. They, you know, the pure hearted person is trying. They're going to try to fellowship with the saints, join to be accountable, join to be practice accountability to be authentic because that's what everyone's saying you have to do all the submission you want to be but here you go trying to do it and you get attacked that's my point that's the main point of this that it isn't just me this is for the sake of the name of jesus in his body and ministry what is ministry about now why is it a point of really finger pointing accusation and legalism and when i was in a small grassroots area i really saw it and when i went out to study the body when they moved in the holy spirit i really saw it when i came back to the baptist the black church 
whether they moved in the spirit or not, I don't see it. When I think of my family and the people I, all the nice people I know, <laughs> everywhere, they don't do it. <laughs> so it is a spirit. I am training now the whelp. So if you're under whelp ministry, they, they want you to be over you and everyone is entitled to have their chain of command. I went over when I first came to Texas. I want, I'd always watch Bishop Jakes in the morning, help me through some rough spots, seeing Creflo Dollar over on the East Coast. So when I came out, I really wanted to go to his church. So I went. It was a far drive. And when I got there, I looked and I thought, man, it was a sight. This giant white building and this hot, white Texas heat day. And there was this blue sky and all these cars and you had to walk and take a trolley to get in. But I watched and I saw, they're not under the law. And I watched, it was like a whole nation. You know, they're dark skinned against the black against the um, black skin, against the white building and concrete and the sky and the heat. And it was like a, a somber, a sober nation going in in reverential fear of the Lord. And I, it was so impressive. So I went in and I found that they were friendly. I mean, they were trying hard to be multicultural then. I think they are now. But what it, what it was, I thought, I felt respected. I didn't feel singled out. I didn't feel distanced from. I thought they were man enough to handle a strong woman. And lady enough to handle a strong woman. <laughs> so you can get your flavor and an earful and a spirit full of just trying out different churches. I believe we need to educate people how to handle people. A lot of people that don't look like you, they might be just raised up under a different move of God. They have different emphasis, anointing, parts of God's anointing rather, and clothes or whatever. Style. So that people, I always told my I told a friend, a young mother the other day, she had like several, I said, don't ever, when a child tells you something and confides in you, don't ever let them know you're horrified. Don't ever be horrified. And I tried with my children never to be horrified. And I remember my mother used to be horrified easily. I couldn't tell her things and therefore you don't confide. You don't want to. You get afraid to tell her she can't, you know. Later on, she matured, I matured, all that was over. But I'm thinking, with a parent, with a visitor, with a leader, an elder, the group in the United States, don't let them know if you're horrified. It doesn't look good for you. If you think, because I'm a prophet and I can read people, you go up to say, I'm here, and you suspect it might be whelp because they're all white, there's nobody, you know, black, and the women are sort of docile. I thought, all right, here I am, body of Christ minister, love and respect all kinds and flavors. Let me go introduce myself to the pastor. And when you go toward them, if they act like a deer in the headlights and they're never black or brown or from another nation, real Pentecostal, usually word of faith are pretty good. But if they're whelp, even that denomination of whelp that comes from a certain state, a big denomination of whelp, a woman walking toward them, they are easily horrified. And it's so, dis- it's so impure. It is a bias fear. Maybe it's reading those Jezebel books, hearing too many reputation about Jezebel that now you read it and you're, you're lacking in the power of might but also love and respect. And you also have a fear of humans. You have a fear of female. 
My Bible teaches me in Psalm 29:25, fear of man brings a snare. But those who put their trust in the Lord shall be safe. So if you're scared, put your trust in the Lord. It says fear of human brings a snare. That means outer core earth suit, white, brown, black, ugly, sweet, mama, daddy, whomever, whatever flavor. Fear of any other human brings a snare. That is your choice and your fault for not going to God and running to him and saying, I need help in this area. Hope we're going to tear down the strongholds in men and women about the Friendly Fire Fellowship to make it no longer exist. That that will not apply. 2 Timothy 1 through 5 from such turn away will not apply to any Christian group in the United States or within the sound of my voice. Why? Because accusation projects hurt. It is a spirit. It is a spirit on assignment to project rejection and accusation that wounds people and tells them, that's what I got for trying to go to church when I was already suffering and my mother was in the hospital. I barely slept. My children were screaming. My husband's about to leave. We have no money and I'm still going to go to church because I love Jesus. And here I walk in the door and I must not look there. Bill fit there type of looking like a happy camper all quaffed and all whatever else beauty like a beauty queen and they target me and whisper and send their witch watchers accuse me of being in rebellion just by my looks and they don't even know me that's not love that's accusation so i'm being plain and hopefully plenty graphic to get the word out to the ministers educate the people who say they are under you see this is it paul in the Bible, it talks about co-laborers. The Bible says that the first church was house to house, not click to click, system to system. In the original Old Testament, God divided his people. He shepherded his people and put them in tw 12 tribes of distinct characteristics and calling, but he never made them into the 12 legalistic systems, the 12 big business systems, or the 12 competitive achievement systems to see who can have more members and more followers. So take that and let's apply it now to the United States, the Western media affected ministry and see if we have that temptation and the wrong doctrine and the wrong heart so that we can get back to really community, first church, Ephesians 4, Everyone on the same team, the bride of Christ, walking in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of us all, in meekness, in humility, everyone long-suffering to keep unity and then transforming the church. The true church, all the fivefold office ministers on one page to keep us all in the same faith, not exactly identical or clone, but just unique, but with the same page. It's about the Lord, not us. It's about getting to heaven, being mature, not us. About getting over our differences, really repenting so that we are truly the bride, not the pride of Christ, not us. When this happens, that legalism has gone, and it says that the, in Ephesians 4 that the community of Christians will change. There'll be, one, there'll be less winds of doctrine less con artists, less immaturity. And then it will have such an effect on society, they'll notice 
and they'll want to change and be like Jesus. They'll smell a sweet smell, perceive a sweet perception that's deep, true, honorable, loving like Jesus. And we want to be like that. And also I point out that we want to serve Jesus with servant leadership, not big I, little you, dotting all the, crossing all the T's, dotting all the hoops. That's what I keep finding in these systems. You can have a system, you can choose to have a system, or you can have a flow. I believe in having a flow even to the point that I would say, if Paul chose to say, I'm not under any one man or any one group, I'm sent out by Paul to be the apostle. I think we have we better do that really right now. Why? Why? If Paul said it, that means it's not chaos. It's not disorder. It is really a true individual following God in meekness and lowliness, but also being able to be different if God says to and not be pressured by peer pressure or the oversight. Don't do that. Don't say it. Paul would not be muzzled. One reason, if I fellowship, which I do fellowship, I like to fellowship with the saints. If I ongoing fellowship, I have a real big deal now about ever joining. Even this ministry, I joined my ministry, but it's with me. I don't join and I am with it. You know, it's with me. But I'm thinking because of the the legalism covering issues, the accusation, the control, big control. Paul was not controlled. No one can be controlled except God. He even fussed. Paul started off Galatians, his rebuke to the Galatian church, the legalistic church, by speaking that he was not under anybody except the Lord, not sent out by any one man or one group. Maybe because they were on his case, because they were back in the law preaching that he was in rebellion, because he wasn't under shepherding like they are. He was under their form of Old Testament Levitical law. And see, I teach that now because you have to. You get so much bad rumors, accusations from the born-again groups that go for that. If you go to a denominational, they don't even think about it. So happy. If you go to a fellowship that's Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, they're not into that. Of course, they probably have their stuff, but I don't, it, oh, it's like a vacation to me when they're not back in the law. There's some new groups now that do move in the spirit that believe in tongues and worship that are out there now, and I'm test driving a few of those and trying to have my own. If God ever wants that, that's fine, but we're not in it for keeping track of the Joneses, how many times you're there, make sure you only give to our ministry. It's nice when people give, but not threatening or making them feel pressure. So the idea is God is in control, not us. But if we get in the wrong groups. So when I was diagnosing, you know, after I was racially profiling and I thought, I'm going to see what groups make me feel this uncomfortable simply for sitting there in James 317 form as a female senior top leader there with the husband's permission, but he wasn't there. And then I found out that, you know what, when I was married and the husband said yes and had people like a board that I was accountable to, five, it still wasn't good enough because they are suspicious of the lone woman. And so then I also discovered later, and we'll get into that a whole separate topic, the first Samuel Eli Hay priesthood that accused women, the lone woman, on the steps by stereotyping, saying that she was weeping and grieving because she was persecuted with the permission of her husband, but the compassion-fatigued Eli, middle-aged whelp, who wouldn't discipline his sons, who were also using women. He didn't respect real women. 
God's women or God's house or his office and the women his and so he accused her and she turned out to be the future woman mother Hannah who was the mother of the first national Hebrew prophet Samuel later he did repent you know he did change his act and he went over there finally and talked to her like a person and ended up prophesying over her but the idea is in that first chapter you can notice the whelp disposition they really don't care they're too tired their drive compassion they don't care but they base it on look distant look not relationship also this particular whelp Eli had grown fat and overweight and he was lacking in energy but pressured by the ministry and for some reason either he was controlled by his two sons his associate ministers Hophni and Phineas but whatever he was he was too weak to set him straight and they were acting like the Jezebel spirit ironically teaching false things and doing false things dominating they commandeered the offering and used it for themselves even got a person to do it for them pressure the people they slept with the women that came to the house and Eli could have said don't do it guys and if they refused he should have set them out instead he tolerated it because he was too tired or too weak and instead when a female who is righteous comes up his thick jaded lacking in perceptive tough heart sits there uses a stereotype of ministry oh I've seen those before those emotional women they're time wasted oh no not another one I'm on my break I just need 10 minutes alone and there she is another time waster another one of those little women and he says she's drunk when really she's persecuted in grief trying to go to the family house of God for comfort so we have a lot of thoughts on these things on ministry priests and pastors and paupers and peons and all sorts of things and I'll just keep on sharing it putting it out there for anyone to discuss as a selah for you maybe to get an idea for teaching for speaking for correcting for pointing out how to have good doctrine for assessing ministers for assessing born-again persons even yourself I think we all need to right now and I do it myself I'm trying to assess myself what's in my own heart my self-talk my attitude my call what am I really doing that really God wants or what am I just thinking he wants it's not time to accuse self-flagellate beat yourself down no that's the devil Jesus is the assessor not the accuser however if we avoid self-assessment taking judgment if we're self-righteous so long refuse reproof then we can receive bring down judgment on ourselves by our choices so that's what we want to do. We want to really be ready. We want to be relationship ready with the Lord first, first love lifestyle, with ourself so we can understand our motives and our purposes and heart agendas, with our spouse and family next, and that will protect us. The Eli High Priesthood in Ephesians, the Eli High Priesthood in 1 Samuel is parallel in the New Testament to the first church that the Holy Spirit openly rebukes in Revelation 2 verse 1 
and it says, I know your good works, your hard achievers, you're always working, doing things that are busy for me, but I know I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. And he's speaking to the lampstand. God is speaking to the pastor, the top founder of the work, the top leader of the fellowship, who does the mass every week or gives the soliloquy or gives the preacher or, or you know, pounds the podium and prolif- what is it? prolifically is the oracle office of the ministry, male or female, in these days. He says, you know what? I'm really grateful. I see your good works. I note it, but I see I have this one thing against you, and it's pretty big. You're now lost your first love, and in my opinion, parenthesis, now they're acting like the Eli priesthood. Tough, tired, too much consumed with the trappings of ministry, the good deeds, and their heart is not introspective, self-assessing. They don't take off enough time to really enjoy being with God, practice His presence, see God as part of the family, and take His input in a relationship form. So he's upset, and the other reason would be because it does transform the house of the Lord because they're now short-tempered, checking their watch. If somebody comes up to say hello, they're distant, they're aloof. Some people may be using people behind the scenes, abusing people, accusing people. Only God knows that. But they're now not the original organic priesthood. They're the morphed, stressed out, often like the Edomite priesthood. I studied the prophets in the Old Testament and how they warned of the Edomite priesthood. The Esau priesthood it was in it for the money, the hirelings. I found a scholar that supported that. And that Obadiah warns of that. And my opinion, when God makes his big Malachi open rebuke and marvelous prophecy to the priests of his nation in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, I believe that when he's made that rebuke, he says, you say you're my messengers. Well, I'm going to show you who my messenger is. He'll suddenly come in and fill the temple, meaning Christ. Suddenly the Old Testament ends and there's no word for 400 years, 10 generations in the Hebrew Bible canon, we wake up on the other side when Matthew, the, the, the time of Christ comes and the time of the Pharisees. And we find, in my opinion, that the warnings of Obadiah, Isaiah about the priesthood turning into the hireling priesthood, now we've got it in the shape of the Pharisees and their system, the temple money changers and all that. You know, there's always a godly remnant, so God puts in there the name of Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, who's a priest who believed, had the holy fear of the Lord. But for the most part, the only ones that attacked Jesus were Pharisees, the accuser Pharisees who wanted to guard their reputation, their perks, their time, their power, and their respect, and their mammon, their salaries. They wanted to keep a good salary, even keel, so they wouldn't risk it. And here is Jesus who is throwing them off, thinking, man, that guy, we, he might usurp us. He's coming to get our turf. They were turf protectors of the temple the wrong way. So Jesus came and he came to toss them over because he had the zeal of his father's house. He did have the fear of the Lord. He knew the ways of God, not just the rules. And here I am. It must be me just tossing over the temple money changers 
taking my time, wishing I didn't have to do it, assessing, speaking apostolic, teaching to doctrine, submitting it to those who have ears to hear, doing it as a human. When you put on Christ, there's no male or female thing, and doing it for the sake, only for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the only way, the truth, and the life, and then also to protect the body of Christ, males and females, black or white, bond or free, church going or not, legalistic or not. It's for everybody to be feel safe. When you want to get in there and hear the heart of God, worship Him, love Him, be there for Him, any place you deserve to have a safe place to go, that you're not under attack, you're not under the law, the Pharisees looking at you, writing it down, keeping bed, you know, judging you from afar back under the law. I'll submit all this to Selah's, to pastors, apostles, pure-hearted people of all the five offices in the ministry and without, because a lot of people are so well-educated and know the Lord that well, they should be ministers and they are ministers in their own right without a title. And I submit it all to black, white, and brown. I submit to people who are not believers that maybe you want to read about it, pray about it, see about being a believer, but that's your choice. And I'll submit it all in the name of the mighty name of Jesus, my Savior. God bless you. This is Apostle Tevo DRC signing off from Tevo Creative Leadership and the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship at onlinefellowship.us. You can contact us at online, excuse me, contact me at dfwleader at gmail.com. If you write, it has to be in James 317 demeanor. If it's not in James 3.7 demeanor, I'll read the first two words and delete it. Because I'm not going to put up with that tripe. All right. God is good. His mercy endures to all of us. Read Psalm 118. That's a great verse to end on. Psalm 118. It really is about life and real ministry. And then also Psalm 112 is great for the righteous person. And in that we're, in that one, Psalm 112 verse 7 jumps out. God bless you. Have a good one. The Lord loves you. Bye-bye.